to make mention of? Okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and go on with this message then. I uh, have this song in my heart this morning. I, my, my dad and grandfather used to love to sing all the time. They often were asked to sing in quartets and trios and do special numbers and songs and stuff like that. So I know a lot of hymns growing up in the church, just a lot of them. But one um, I'm thinking of this morning, if you can put that on there for me, John Ray, is uh, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." If you, if you read the lyrics to this song, it's very strong. It's very strong words, but um, we can try to sing it if you guys want to. How many here know this song? You guys know it enough you know it? You're not going to make me do a solo, right? So I'll try to start on a note we all can do. Uh, but, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, Oh, for grace to trust him more. Aren't those words powerful? Let's go to the next one. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge me Neath the healing, cleansing flood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Do you know what you guys are singing right here? You're singing that even in difficult times, even in challenges, we're going to trust God. Amen? We're going to trust Jesus. And I love how, how we've proved himself over and over and over and over again. And sometimes in our lives, you know, Jesus has this awesome track record in our life. We're still here, right? We're still here. He's done really well. But then we have a new thing come up, and all of a sudden our faith goes, hmm. But how's God going to do it this time? I'm telling you, um, there's a grace that God provides for us to trust him more. You can trust God with your life. So the Bible talks a lot about faith, just like this song. We know that the scriptures teach us that it's impossible to please God without faith. Your works won't please God. Now, if you do works in faith, they'll please God. But your works won't please God. It's impossible to please God without faith. Faith is trusting God and it's trusting his word. When the going gets tough, that's when our faith needs to get going. Amen? It's not like wanting to get people around me, oh, please feel sorry for me. I'm going through a tough time. Feeling sorry for you is not going to help you do anything. Come on, somebody. Getting a pity party around you and telling your boo-hoo story to somebody is not going to help you snap out of it. It's not going to help you get out of it. I mean, we all go through things, and it is hard. I'm not saying you can't share with friends. You can't get them to pray for you. But if your goal is sympathy... If your goal is to have someone feel sorry for you, you're missing it. Because God doesn't feel sorry for you. 
He empowers you to overcome. In Christ, you are more than a conqueror. You're more than an overcomer through everything you're going to face in this life. Everything, okay? We know that faith comes by hearing the spoken word of Christ. When you hear God speak something to you, and you know that you know, or he speaks it from his word, you know that you know that God's speaking that word to you. You have faith to do what he's telling you to do. Amen? We know that faith gratifies God entirely. It gratifies him. Your faith pleases God. Amen? Your faith does. We also know that uh, faith is in our hearts, not in our heads. Head faith isn't going to get the job done. Intellectually knowing the Bible, intellectually knowing things, and having the Spirit of God in you and faith in your spirit is not the same thing. Okay? We also know... um, or we are to, we are to, the word says we are to believe that we have received something before we actually see it. That's faith. We are called to believe we have received something before we see it. Come on. Are you here? Is it true? Is it in the Bible? More than one time, right? It's what God says. Now, you tell somebody that sometimes, and you're like, uh, what? What are you talking about? I remember I thought of this story. Patrick Wise, he um, came home for... I think it was Christmas break one year from Karis and uh, from Bible College. And he had a truck. And he had a cousin that, I think it was his cousin, that needed a truck. And so Patrick one day gave his truck away. Just gave it to him for free. And then uh, his mother was quite concerned. How are you getting back to school? Colorado is a long ways away. How are you getting back to school? He goes, Mom, I'm going to get back to school in my truck. He goes, well, what truck? You just gave your truck away. He goes, you'll see, Mom. My truck. So as it kept getting closer to the end of Christmas break, you remember this? Marshall remembers this. And uh, his mother kept saying, Marshall, I mean, Patrick, how are you going to get back to school? What are you going to do? He goes, I'm going to drive my truck there. It got right down, I think it was the night or two before he was leaving. And it was this truck that he's been wanting for a long time. He asked this friend of his dad's for, for this truck that wanted to buy this truck off for years and years and years. And uh, finally the guy said yes, and someone else stepped forward last minute and paid for it for him. He drove home in his truck, right? So um, we got called to, but he didn't know that was the way it was going to work out. But he believed he had received it before he actually had it. When he believed he had received it, then he gets it. I'm telling you, it's weird in your brain. It's, faith doesn't work in the brain well, but faith works great in your spirit. Okay? So faith is activated also through our mouths. In abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. Your faith is activated through your mouth. It can be in the Bible. It can be on your bookshelf. But it's got to be in your mouth. It has to be in your mouth, okay? So my question for today is, what does faith look like? What does faith look like in your life? What does it look like? We know Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So substance here means confidence, firm trust, and assurance. There is no wishy-washy stuff when it comes to faith. The double nine demand is unstable in everything he does. It says that man should not expect to receive anything from God. Okay? It's not, we're not playing poker. We're not playing tiddlywinks. We're not playing, I hope so. I knock on wood. Faith is the assurance. It's the firm trust. It's the foundation of our, of our faith in God that he is faithful. He's going to do what he said he will do. Amen? It's tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Amen? It's sweet. The evidence means conviction or proof. You are convicted. You have the proof in your heart that God said it. I believe it. That settles it. It's over. It's over. Now, it might take a day. It might take a month. It might take a, We don't know how long sometimes for things to come. But you believe you have received it before you have it, and you have it. Amen? That's what the Word says. 
Now, I know this verse says, now faith is, but it really doesn't give you a definition of what faith is. It tells you what faith looks like. Faith looks like confidence, a firm trust, and assurance, a conviction that we have received the thing we've asked for in prayer before we've actually received it in, our, in the natural. Okay? That's what faith looks like. Now, in church life, you may have seen what they call faith look like something else. It might look like a, a pity party prayer chain where they call up and boo-hoo and everybody cry and feel sorry for me. That's not faith. That's expecting nothing to happen. Here's my report. I'm going to die. It's over. And God's not going to intervene. God's not going to help. God's going to help with this or my kids, whatever. And it's just this boo-hoo cry party. That's not the kingdom. That's not Jesus' life. You don't see Jesus teaching disciples, here's what you do, guys. Get everybody to feel sorry for you. Don't expect anything good to happen in your life. No, he says, he says, believe you have received it, you'll have it. He says, whatever you ask for in my name, uh, I'll give you. That your joy may be full, Right? So Hebrews 11 verse 2 tells us that faith is how the elders received a good testimony. That's how they're known for the whole Hebrews 11 faith chapter. They're known and they're in the book of faith, the chapter of faith because of their faith. Okay. So, um, but even after reading these things, questions still remain. What does, what does faith look like to me? What's faith look like in my life, in your life? So, uh, for example, um, is it enough to say we believe something, but then not do it? Someone asks you, do you believe this? Yeah, I believe that. Okay, well, what are you doing about it? Uh, for example, is it enough to say we believe the Bible, but never read it? Is it enough to say we believe in the power of pray, prayer, but never pray? Is it enough to say we believe in miracles and signs, wonders, and miracles, but then never lay our hands on anybody in faith and pray for them? We're, we're believe with it. It's okay. it's okay. I guess it won't offend me if someone else does this. I guess I'll, I'll be okay. But you're not called to just be okay with the gospel. You're called to live it. You're called to do it. You're called to be a participant, not be, I'm not offended if Pastor Ryan prays in tongues. I'm not a pastor offended if Pastor Ryan lays hands on the sick and they recover. That doesn't offend me. Well, good. Congratulations. It's the gospel. Amen. It's the word of God. I didn't write this book. He did. Amen? But we're called to just do it. Not just say we believe it, but actually do it. Amen? So our faith and our works need to be, our faith and our works need to be acting together, just like we see in the book of James. We'll look at this in James chapter 2. So what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Our base of this says, what does it profit a brethren if someone says they have faith but they don't do anything? Okay? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not, you do not give them the things they are needed for their body, what profit is it? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 18. But if someone will say, You have faith and I have works, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. I will show you what I believe by what I do. That's what he's saying at the end of that verse. Verse 19. You believe that there's one God, you do well. But even demons believe that and tremble. It's kind of like, whoopity do. Even demons believe that. How hard does it take you to believe that there's one God? Look out the window. Look at the sunsets around here. The sunrise around here. You have to know somebody created these things. God created these things. It says, but uh, do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith that works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? 
Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works, not only by faith. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. Okay, that's the word of God. Praise be to God. It's challenging, but it's true. We can say we believe something, but if we, do we really believe it? Or are we just okay with it? Believing something, you're convinced, you have a conviction, an assurance, a firm trust, a firm faith. This is what God says. This is what I'm going to do. This is what my life's going to look like. Amen? So faith should look like something. It should look uh, like something. It should affect how we're living, not just uh, my faith caused me to go to this particular church. My faith caused me to go to church once a week or I pray once in a while. Faith should look like something. So I'm going to share you some examples of what faith looked like from people that you may have heard of before, from people in the Bible, and just show you what faith looked like in their lives, okay? To John G. Lake, he uh, is known for his healing ministry. He had over 150,000 documented miracles in five years in Spokane, Washington, and uh, he was, their city was named the healthiest city in the country by an American association. It wasn't a church. 150,000 documented miracles, okay? This man was a businessman. I think he was in real estate. He was a millionaire. And then one day, God called him into the ministry. He sold everything he had and gave every dime away that he had. Every, he just gave everything away. He let, saved nothing for himself. He was married with children, and God called him to go to Africa. And he didn't even save any money to pay for his port fees. For, he, he saved money to pay for the, the, the boat ride over, but not his port fees when he got there. So he was believing God right then that someone would give him money on the plane to pay for himself, uh, not playing the boat uh, for himself and his children. And they did, last minute. Uh, he didn't know where he was going, didn't know how he was going to be provided for, but God provided for him that and a house and a ministry. And these things happened. It was faith moved him to do that. So it wasn't just, I believe I should go to Africa. He put his faith in action. To Smith Wigglesworth, faith looked like punching someone in the stomach. Have you heard of faith with Smith Wigglesworth before? This guy would be intense today. He, 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 he's intense any day. It's funny how much people liked him after he died more than they liked him while he was alive. And sometimes that's, that's true with some of these people. But anyway, he was intense. And so this person walked up to them. They had stomach cancer. And he, it's like he could see the demon spirit that was causing his cancer. He just went up and just like, boom, and just punched this person in the stomach. And they got healed. Now, I don't recommend you doing that unless you have a really close relationship with Jesus and you know for sure that God told you to say that because he hit this one lady and she slapped him back uh, in Africa. And, uh, and then she went home and, and God convicted her because she realized she was healed and she went back and apologized to him. And uh, another one, um, he had this person, he had a whole line of people on a high stage, about a three-foot high stage, and they're coming across like at a school and um, like an uh, auditorium at school, walked across the stage. This person came through the prayer line and had a broken leg. And so he prayed for them, and they went on, and he prayed for the next person. But that person wasn't healed, so they went back through the line again. And he's just like, I already prayed for you once, and he pushed the person off the stage with a broken leg. And when the person fell on the floor, laying on both feet, the leg was healed. Come on. You got to know that you know that you know you heard God for you're going to push someone a broken leg off of a three-foot high stage, right? Um, 
Also, this same guy, he went to a funeral, and he, he pulled this person out of the coffin, slammed them up against the wall like this, come back to life in Jesus' name, and the body like slid down the wall, okay? And uh, the, the family's there. They're grieving the loss of this loved one, right? And uh, like he, he does it again, picks up, and I said, come back to life in Jesus' name, and the body slids down the wall. And they're starting to whisper and talk by then like, you beast, leave my family alone. What's wrong with you? How insensitive can you be? He goes, he goes, I don't tell you how to do your job. You don't tell me how to do my job. And he picks him up again. In Jesus' name, boom, and the person came back to life. Did you hear about the, drop, the baby that was dropped? Yeah, I heard that one too. I was going to skip that one today, but, <laughs> but yeah, he, he did that. He, he punt kicked a baby that was dead. And the, and the baby came back to life. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just saying this is what faith looks like sometimes. You got to know that you know that you know that you heard God before you did this. Another time he was a, sort of a guest speaker at a church, and he felt the Holy Spirit say, leave this church right now and go wait at a park bench. So he just walked out the door. Right in, it was his turn. It was time to preach. And he walked in, sat at a park bench, and then this couple eventually came and sat down beside him, and he ministered to them, helped them in their marriage, helped pray for them, helped restore Then he went back, and the people were still there. It was an hour later. They were still sitting there waiting. I don't know if you guys would do that for me. But, uh, but anyway, he waited an hour, came back, and he preached his sermon. So um, another one, George Mueller. You, you heard of him. I mentioned him before. He started an orphanage in England, which grew to have 2,500 kids. And he believed for their food, their clothing, their housing, their staff and upkeep. He had no mailing lists, no TV shows, no radio shows. He, didn't, he wasn't a pastor, didn't have a church backing him. And he didn't even tell anybody what his needs were unless they asked. He would never tell anybody what his needs were. And in his lifetime, he died in 1898. He believed God for more than $7.5 million back, you know, over 100 plus years ago, which I don't know what that math would be of that today. And he helped take care of over 10,024 children. A cool quote in his, his journal said this, uh, in his 90s, he wrote this, When I first started praying and believing God for provision for these children, it took all the faith I could muster to believe God for $1. But after feeding my faith daily on the Word of God for 50 years and exercising my faith, I can believe God for a million dollars just as easily as I could for one dollar 50 years before. His faith grew over time. It grew, okay? So what does faith look like? To Andrew Womack, faith looked like raising his son from the dead in the morgue. His son was dead. He got the call. He went into the morgue, had the toe tag already on it. I want to see my boy. He walks in there, prays for him. His son gets up from the dead. Okay, it's a true story. It's, it's documented, too. And Anyway, um, faith also for him looks like believing God for multiple millions of dollars every month to pay for their TV ministry and their expenses. That's a lot. That pressure gets heavy sometimes. To Holly and I, faith like moving to Crossnor, North Carolina, but we didn't know one person in North Carolina, let alone Avery County. Later, we moved to Roanoke without a job. We had three young children and a teenage boy. And then a dog added to us, too. Had no money coming in, no job lined up, but I knew that I knew that I knew. We knew that we heard God say, move to Roanoke. And also, then later, moved back here when our church was in disarray. When we came here, our church was in a big mess. This church was in a big mess. And, uh, oh, man, my pastor in Roanoke said, now, Ryan, you're either crazy or you're called to go into this situation. And I said, well, praise God. I think I'm a little bit of both. So, uh, <laughs> and it's worked out well, Amen. Praise God. God's turned a lot of things around, and I'm thankful. To Noah, faith looked like building an ark when it's never even, potentially never even rained before. You know, he called him to build this ark. What's an ark? 
What's a boat? What's a, he, God taught him and showed him how to build this massive structure and told him all these animals are going to come from all over the world to enter his boat. Everybody thought he was absolutely nuts, but his faith looked like something. He built it, and you know the rest of the story. To Abram, faith looked like changing his name to Abraham, which means father of many when he had no children. Imagine walking around and everybody calling you Abraham, which means father. And they know what the names mean. It's their language. They know it. And you're going to say, I'm the father of many. Oh, yeah, let me see your kids. Let me see your pictures. Well, I don't have any yet. Well, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? Why would you say that then? He believed. He believed God, the promises of God. To Abraham, faith looked like sacrificing his son, and who was the son God promised him. He was going to kill him and believe that God was going to raise him from the dead. That's, that's crazy faith, right? That's like crazy but he knew that he knew that he knew that he heard God, and he didn't understand it all, but he knew that he did. It was also a type and shadow of Christ, but with God killing his son to save you and for me. To Moses, faith looked like leading the people out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, throwing the stick into the bitter waters, becoming sweet, uh, striking the rock, and water came out. This is the same God, amen? You imagine doing that? You go to, I don't know, some big rock around here. There's lots of them mountains and stuff, and just like, I'm thirsty, and take your stick, and all of a sudden this water comes out, enough water for three million people, and all their animals and stuff, this is our God, to Joshua, faith looked like uh, giving a good report of the land, and even though he saw the giants, even though he saw all these things, he gave a good report of the land, it looked like walking around the walls of Jericho for seven days, and commanding, the, and he also commanded his son to stand still until he had finished the battle that he wanted to win. Say what? It was going to go dark. He goes, we need a little bit more time here, God, to finish these guys off. Son, stand still in Jesus' name, and it stands still till they're finished, and then it goes back to normal. To Nahum, faith looked like dipping in the Jordan seven times. In the Jordan, I've been baptized in the Jordan. It's not that clean. It's pretty dirty water, and that's why he was offended by it. But when he got up the seventh time, he was healed of leprosy. To Gideon, faith looked like attacking an army of 135,000 people with 300 men. <laughs> you imagine? You have to trust your leader. Like, this dude's crazy. There's 135,000, and you want us to fight them with 300 guys. All right? To Peter, faith looked like leaving his fishing business, his boats, his family, his community. It looked like stepping out of the boat, walking on water, coming to Jesus. And it looked like raising Dorcas from the dead. That's Peter. It's in your Bible. Uh, to the woman with the issue of blood, faith looked like pushing through a crowd to get to Jesus. She risked her reputation, some persecution, and possibly even her life. Faith caused her to move. To the blind man who Jesus put mud in his eyes, faith looked like him walking to the pool of Siloam when he couldn't see. But when he got there and washed off the mud, he could see. My question is, for you is today, what does your faith look like? What does your faith look like? Because it doesn't look like something like this. Uh, it might not be actual faith. It might just be the idea of faith. Now, I know we don't always have big things to, sit, to make every day. Like, we don't have to always move to, like we did to Roanoke or from Canada to Crossnore. There's always, always, there isn't always a big thing. But what does your faith look like on a daily basis? What does it, your faith look like on the small things? You know, sometimes faith is easier to obey in the big things. When you know God told you this, you just pack up and you do it and you go. But on a day-to-day -day basis, what does your faith look like? Do you believe God? Do you believe God wants to work through you? Amen? Amen. I got quiet here. Are you guys good? 
I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm just saying what faith looks like something, right? It does look like something. It should look like something in our lives. So why well, don't I read you this story about this unnamed woman from Matthew 15. It says, then Jesus went out from there, starting at verse 21. Jesus went out from there. We don't know where there is yet. I'm going to show you that in a minute. And departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Cana came from the region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. His disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps crying out to us. She's getting on our nerves. So that's basically what they're saying. She is annoying us. Send her away. But he answered and said to her, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, she worshipped him after that, saying, uh, Lord, help me. But he answered, said, it is not good to take the, the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And he said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from under their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. Amen. What a story. What persistence in faith. I'm not going to give up. I don't care what you say. The answer is yes. She was just like, I'm going to keep going. So verse 21, I mentioned this at the start. Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So, well, according to chapter 14, also Mark 6, the there where they were at was Garrisonette. I have a picture of that for a map for you guys. The, um, let's see, it's on there somewhere. Um, I, the, the Galilee one. Uh, the other one. Yeah, that one. So you can see here, I didn't bring my laser pointer, but you can see here by the Sea of Galilee, there's the garrisonette. That's where they were ministering. But they traveled from there to Tyre and Sidon. So you can see, even with this scaled map, it looks like a pretty good journey. According to what I saw, it looks like it could be approximately 50 miles. That's a pretty good walk. So if Jesus and disciples walked five miles an hour, which I don't know if that's good, bad, or whatever, um, this journey would have taken them 10 hours or more plus stops. It's a, it's a long journey. Verse 22 said, the woman came from the region of Cana. So if you can go to the other picture now. Uh, the one you had, yeah, that one. The area of Cana, as of today, the region of Cana includes Lebanon. You can hopefully see that on there. Um, Israel, northwestern Jordan in some western areas of Syria. So depending on where she lived in Cana, this lady could have walked anywhere from 10 miles to 100 miles to get to that region of Tyre and Sidon. This lady went a long way on this walk, potentially. Even 10 miles is a good walk. But um, I imagine she found Jesus on the road somewhere along the way as she walked, and the lady said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, which means that he's a Messiah. She's claiming him to be Messiah. And she tells him how her daughter is demon-possessed. She tells him how she needs help. But Jesus didn't answer her a word. He completely ignored her. You imagine you walk 10 to 100 miles to go see somebody. And you're like, you, that's, that's a long way. And you get there, and the guy just like keeps on walking, acts like you don't need, you're not even alive, just keeps, keeps on going. Would you be offended? Come on, some of you guys. Yeah, you'd be offended. Yeah. So the lady started asking disciples for help, and they just got annoyed and said, send her away. And Jesus said, I wasn't sent except to the lost sheep of Israel, meaning like, you're, you're a Gentile. You're not a Jew. I didn't come. God didn't send me here for you. So many of us would have been offended. Again, after walking all that way, he's not going to help because she's not a Jew. 
But she doesn't stop there. Then she comes and bows down in front of him, another version says, and she starts worshiping him. He already ignored her. He says, you're not a Jew. can't help you. Then he comes and worships in front of, in front of him, and she says, Lord, help me. And Jesus said, it's not good to take the children's bread and to- throw it to their dogs. Again, this is your third rejection in a row after walking all that way. And this woman just doesn't quit. She doesn't quit. And that's one of the aspects of faith that we need to have in our DNA. We're praying and believing God for stuff is no matter what, we're not going to quit. We're not going to quit, okay? By now, she's asked three, four, five times and doesn't get the answer. She knows she doesn't have a covenant with God. She might as well give up. The cards are stacked against her. What is she going to do? She might as well turn around and walk home. But she doesn't do this. She said, yes, Lord, even little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. What an amazing statement. Amazing statement. And Jesus said this woman had amazing faith. But my question to you is, where did she get this amazing faith from? She was a Gentile, right? She didn't grow up hearing the law and the teachings of the Bible. Um, Jesus told her it will be done to her according to her desire, and her daughter was healed that hour. Where did she get this faith from? We know that faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. So somewhere along the way, this woman heard something that caused her to walk 10 to 100 miles to go find Jesus to try to get the help she needed for her daughter. She heard something. Somebody told her a testimony somewhere that put so much fire in her, so much faith in her, that she would not take no for an answer. So possibly she heard a testimony. Uh, maybe she heard about the man in the tombs of the Gerasenes that was demonized. Maybe she heard that story how he was locked in chains, and then he was breaking the chains. He was cutting himself, living in the tombs, and Jesus went there and set him free. And then Jesus later, that guy wanted to travel with Jesus, and Jesus said, no, don't travel with me. Go back to your home. Go see your family and tell them all the things the Lord's done for you. And he went to uh, Apocalypse, which means 10 cities, and this man shared his stories throughout those 10 cities. So it's quite possible this could have been the guy who shared with that lady the story of faith that God can do anything. God set me, I was living, in, a, I was living in, the, uh, in the tombs. I was living in a graveyard. I had chains around me. I could break the chains sometimes. I was so demonized. But God came through and set me free. Amen. She heard a testimony from somebody. Maybe she heard the testimony of the woman with the issue of blood. Maybe she heard that story like, well, I wasn't supposed to be there, but I just pushed through the crowd. I just touched the hem of his garment. And so much power went through me, it cured me of what I suffered from in 12 years. Instantly cured me. Or maybe she heard of what just happened in the Genesis, uh, which is where they just had been. I'll read this to you in Mark 6. When they crossed over, they came to the land of Genesis and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, ran through the whole surrounding region, and began to cry about, carry, excuse me, about on their beds those who had, were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces. And in the marketplaces, I love that, not in the church, in the marketplaces, the power of God to be seen in the marketplace. Amen. And begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched him were made well. So maybe one of these people from this town told this woman this testimony. I just picture she heard about Jesus. Someone told her all these testimonies. Well, where is he now? 
Well, he just left. He's heading to, I heard he's heading to Tyre and Sidon. Oh, man, that's a long ways away. And she's, but she's like, I'm going to get my daughter well. I'm going to get her well. So she travels and goes to see him, and she, she doesn't give up, and she gets the healing she wanted. Her persistence. But I wonder how many of us, your testimony, your testimony that you share with your friend, your neighbor, how much power and faith it can release to their hearts. When they're going through something challenging, going through something scary, all of a sudden they recall the testimony of something you said. All of a sudden their faith becomes tenacious. Their faith becomes alive because they heard about God still does miracles today. You want know, to hear this story? It's, it's kind of a, heard the, this the third or fourth time I mentioned raising the dead this morning. I wasn't playing on it, but um, Randy Clark was sharing about raising the dead once, and he didn't want to do it. God said, I want you to talk about raising the dead. And he's like, God, I don't want to talk about that. I've never seen the dead raised before. I'm kind of insecure about that. He goes, are you going to be one of those experiential preachers? Are you going to preach the word? That's challenging, right? Are you going to preach just what you've experienced? Or are you going to preach what the word says? So he goes, all right, I'll preach what the word says. And he preached it kind of vaguely and went over it quickly kind of because he was a little nervous about it still. But he preached on it, what the, what the word says. The next day, there was a man in the crowd that heard that message. And that man's son got hit by a car. And that boy was dead in the end of his driveway. And that man who heard that message went down, and he prayed for his son, and his son came back to life. We don't know sometimes what we're, what we're teaching, how it's going to have an impact on people. But faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, hearing the testimonies of Jesus. It's the root meaning of that is he wants to do it again. He wants to do it again. If we don't hear the testimonies, how are people going to know that God wants to do it again? They used to have testimony services in churches and, and talk about the things of God. And we have to be quick to remember our testimonies. Yeah. Write them down. You know, how many of you had a financial testimony, a miracle before, where God just bailed you out somehow financially? It better be more than two or we're reading the wrong book here, right? How many of you have a testimony of financial provision from God? It should be everybody in here, I think. All right? How many of you forgot about it? Until just now, right? We're so quick that uh, God told the Gentiles, when you get to the land flow of milk and honey, when you get to the, all these things happening, don't forget how I brought you by my mighty right hand out of Egypt. Don't forget. And sometimes we forget those things, and then we forget the testimony. Then we don't share the testimony, and we're not releasing that can-do ability, the power of God to do it again in someone else's life because they don't have faith and expectation for it to happen. This woman heard a testimony, walked 10 to 100 miles, and she wouldn't take no for answer until she saw her daughter set free. Now, maybe you can relate to this lady. Maybe you feel like God's been ignoring you and not answering your prayer right away. Or you feel like uh, you've done everything you know to do. There's nothing's happening. You feel like her, the cards are stacked up against you. You've asked three, four, five times, and what you pray for just isn't, isn't changing. So it's like, well, I guess this must be God's will. I guess I'm just going to accept this negative thing, this negative situation as God's will because what I'm praying isn't happening. And guess what? When you did that, you missed it because God's word is his will. God's word is his will. He doesn't have to say it to you a hundred times. It's his word is his will, and it will not change. It will not change, amen? Now, God wasn't moved. Jesus was not moved by her need. Jesus was not moved by the fact that she walked 10 to 100 miles. Jesus was moved by her faith. And one thing that God will not ignore is your faith. Amen? Amen. Faith looks like something. Faith looks like determination. Faith is relentless. Faith is persistent. Even when the cards are stacked up against us, faith believes that God is faithful. It's not faith in our faith. 
It's faith in our God. It's faith in his word, amen? And he watched over his word to carry it out into completion. So as we take communion together today, um, we can have faith in the promises of God. He has not changed, amen? He said, I will never change. It doesn't matter who told you that he changed. It doesn't matter if someone tries to tell you their negative testimony, how God doesn't do anything anymore, or whatever it is that they tell you. You know the truth of the word of God. You know the truth sets us free. You know that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Amen. So when I ask the elders to come forward, prepare the Lord's table, I think, are you the only one? Oh, there's two. Okay, we got two. So where are the elders are going today? You can recruit some help if you guys need it. And we're going to take the Lord's table together, which is a symbol of the promises of God, which is a symbol of the fact that God is faithful and that he, this 20 fell out. Let's put it back in there. <laughs> it was distracting me the whole time. Um, that remember the covenant, the promise of God, that he is faithful to his word. Amen. He is faithful. I'm going to pray and we'll uh, take communion together. God, I thank you for your word. That you are faithful to me. You are faithful to us. It is sweet to trust in Jesus. It is sweet just to take you at your word and know it's impossible for God to lie. And you watch over your word to carry it out to completion. So God, I just bless your children right now. I thank you for these holy signs and seals of our covenant of grace. Nothing that we've done, but everything that you've done. And we take of this communion together today to remember what you've done. You said, do this in remembrance of you. Remember the promises. Remember what you did. Remember how you suffered to prove your love for us, to set us free from the stronghold of the enemy. To set us free. So God, we just take communion together today in faith, believing God that you are a God of covenant. You're the God of the covenant. Of a covenant. A covenant promise. And we thank you that we are a partaker of the covenant because of Jesus. Your promises are yes and amen. So God, I bless your people today. I thank you for them. Amen. I'm going to invite you guys to come forward and receive from the Lord's table and then hold it and we'll come back, uh, come back together and we'll take it together as a family. So I invite you guys to, to come forward.